Yeah, so I am, uh, like Yuna said, this is my first time preaching. So I am super nervous. <laughs> I'm like so nervous. So if you like see my hands vibrating, just uh, know that I'm like really nervous. Um, so yeah, like Yuna said, my name is Masande. I have been serving at Emmaus for three years now. Uh, one year, one year at Yonse, and then a year and a half at KU. And um, I came to Korea about uh, five years ago, and it was just meant to be for a year, and then go back to South Africa. Uh, but God had other plans, and five years later, I'm still around. So, <laughs> yeah, this is not how I imagined my life would turn out or where I would be. But you know, when God has a plan for you, it's you follow it, right? Um, so, yeah, before I get into our message, my message, let's uh, just bow our heads and pray, please. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day, Lord. Um, I thank you just for this opportunity to to speak your word, Father. Um, I just pray, God Almighty, that uh, each and every single one of us would just open up our hearts to receive what you have, God. Um, I thank you, Lord Almighty, just for each and every single person here and how you've specifically chosen them to be here and to hear this message, God. Um, I thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active, uh, sharper than any double-edged sword, God. So I pray that tonight your word would come alive in every single one of us, God. Uh, thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, today I'm going to preach on uh, something that I've just been going through in my own personal walk with God. It's going to get very intimate in some places, um, but I think it's good to to share from the heart, share experiences and struggles that I'm experiencing in my own life, and through that I hope that you know someone is blessed, uh, someone's encouraged. Yeah. So, like I said. Um, this message is very personal, and if I tear up here and there, which I, I don't think will happen, but if it does happen, <laughs> bear with me. Okay, uh, so before I start my message, I want to just ask you a question, and um, here's the question. Do you believe that God has the ability to perform miracles in your life? And that God can pick up your mountains and throw them into the depths of the sea. Do you believe that God still has the ability to move the mountains that you face in your life? You know, we all, we all face spiritual mountains. We all have things that we face in our lives. Um, and this is a question that God asked me when I was facing something very real and very tangible. And... Um, yeah, so before I get into the message, let me explain what spiritual mountains are. You know, spiritual mountain is, is anything that you are challenged with. It's anything that you are facing right now that is a challenge, that is a struggle in, in your life. Um, that is a, a spiritual uh, mountain. And with this sermon, I want us to, to learn to see things the way God does. Because a lot of, things, a lot of times the mountains we face... Uh, they are mountains because we see them with our own eyes and we don't see them through the eyes of God. And so with this message, I really hope that uh, you will begin to see the things that you face through the eyes of God um, and that you will see God's wisdom and God's plan um, in the struggles and the challenges that you face in your life. Um, you know, the Bible is like filled with so many people that uh, went through struggles. 
And I'm sure if you think about it, you can name someone in the Bible who, who struggled, who faced a mountain. Um, someone like Joshua. You know, Joshua, he felt weak, but God called him three times to lead the Israelites into the promised land. But he didn't feel like he was strong enough that he could do uh, the, like, a greater job like Moses did. But, you know, God told him three times that be strong and courageous. The mountains that you face, the inabilities that you think you have, you will overcome, and ultimately he led the Egyptians into the promised land. Um, and you have David, you know, he faced Goliath. But at the end of, of that scene, what was Goliath? He was nothing but a giant, you know. To everyone else, it looked like this huge thing that nobody could overcome. But because David saw Goliath through the eyes of God, he was just a giant that David ended up killing. And Look at Moses, you know, he had a, a stutter. And when God called him, Moses said, no, God, I am slow of speech. You know, I, I'm not as eloquent as the, the next person. But God used that, um, that same person whose mountain was that he was slow of speech. God used him to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. You know, and so the Bible has all these amazing stories of people who faced struggle, who faced mountains, but God used them in a powerful way. Um, and so before I go into the different mountains, I just want to wanna share my own um, recent mountain and something that I was facing in my own life. <laughs> okay, so um, there are many things that I, I struggle with, and there are many things that I don't really have faith for. I, or I struggle, rather. I struggle to have faith for. And many times I want to take matters into my own hands and do things my way. And I find myself wanting to run away. And, you know, through all of these struggles, God has just been teaching me um, that ultimately in my, in my moment of struggle, it's not that I don't believe that I can overcome, but I don't believe that God can work in my life specifically. So I'll have faith and, and hope for someone else. But then when it comes to my own struggle, I, I, I sometimes lack the faith to believe that God wants to move specifically specifically in my in my life. Um, and so, you know, I could mention many struggles that I, I that I've been going through, but one that I felt like God was highlighting um, was that, you know, I'm I'm twenty eight. I know I don't look it. I mean the space and the space and all what? <laughs> Okay, so here I am, you know, I'm 27, I'm like, okay, God, I'm ready to meet someone, you know, I'm ready to get married, settle down, get the kids, get the picket fence, you know, that kind of thing. And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, God, I'm ready, you know. But then even like in all those moments where I feel like, okay, God, I, I'm ready to meet someone and for my life to, to happen, there was always this, this voice that would say to me, um, it won't happen in Korea. If you want to start dating, you have to move back to South Africa. And constantly, every time I would think about dating, think about marriage, I would always have this thing that says, but you have to move back to South Africa for that to happen. And then I, I started feeling like, but God, you called me to Korea. And my calling to Korea was so clear and was so godly. And I, without a shadow of doubt, I know that God has called me to Korea. And so I couldn't understand this voice that would tell me that where you had to go back to South Africa, but on the other hand, God has called me to, to Korea. 
And so I think just in the midst of all of this, I started to feel very antsy and I started to feel very dis- discontent with, with God. I was like, God, if you called me here, why would you withhold this? You know, because this voice started feeling like it was, it was the truth, you know. Um, so in, in all the ways I was thinking, you know, faith was playing no part. And I allowed myself to be filled with fear and doubt. Um, and it was in that moment where I felt like God was asking me, do you still believe that I can move mountains? Um, and God asked me to stay in Korea. And when he asked me to stay, it wasn't because I had overcome. It wasn't because I was like, oh, okay, you know, that's, that's a lie of the enemy. I can date in Korea. I wasn't in that place. I was still in the fear. <laughs> I was still in the I don't believe. I'm filled with doubt. I'm filled with fear. That's where I was when God asked me to stay in Korea. But for me, um, despite all of that, you know, I knew that um, the, the voices I was hearing, the truth, the things I was believing, they weren't truth. They weren't from God. And I knew that God was, was calling me to, to live my life with expectation. Wherever he places me, to live my life with expectation. And to know that for me personally, being in a relationship is not contingent on me being in South Africa. You know, that's not something that God places over me. But that's a lie that I, I believed for a very long time. Um, and I think just in the journey of uh, God removing that lie um, from me, you know, this message was kind of birthed. Yeah, so that's just the, the back story of this. And I think, you know, something I learned through that mountain that I felt like I was facing was that, you know, God does not forget the cries of our hearts. I think a lot of times we, we don't experience the breakthroughs that we want, um, whether it's in our families or in our own personal walks, in our sin patterns, in the things that we struggle with. And we, we, don't, we forget that God does not forget the cries of our hearts. Just because he doesn't answer in the time and in the way that we want him to doesn't mean that he, he doesn't remember or he stopped performing miracles. Um, yeah, so I think just the, the question that I, I want to answer and just talk about it with the sermon is, you know, how do we move from a place of defeat to a place of victory? Because for a long time in many areas of my life, I was in a place of defeat and I didn't know how, how to move. Um, but you know, God, God is faithful. God is, is so faithful to meet us wherever we are in our, in our walks, in our, in our burdens, in our struggles, in our questions, you know, God is faithful to meet us. And so from that place, um, I just want to share about how I moved from a place of defeat to a place of victory. Okay. Uh, so the first thing that I want to talk about is putting away idols. Okay, so how do you move from a place of defeat to a place of victory? Um, Number one is putting away idols. Okay, so Jeremiah 4 says, If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. And you shall swear the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. The nations shall bless them forever, and in him they shall boast. So, for me, personally, the, the first thing I had to do was to put away the idol of marriage. I had to first acknowledge the fact that marriage was an idol in my life. Um, I grew up in a single-parent home. My, uh, I think I shared this a couple of weeks ago. 
my mom was a single parent, she, um, she was a strong black woman. Like, if you think of a strong black woman, <laughs> Chloe, Chloe, you know, she's like, I, I, I know. Um, <laughs> my mom was a strong black woman. She, she was my mom. She was my dad. She was everything. Um, and she tried to be everything as much as possible. But growing up in a single parent household, um, I think over the years, it really made marriage an, an idol in my life because I never had it. But I knew so many people who grew up with moms and dads, and because I never had that unit in my in my own life, I always uh, would daydream and long. Oh God, I wish I I had grown up with this. And then it turned to I wish I will one day have this. Um, and so I think in that transition, marriage really it became an, an idol in my life. And going beyond that, um, it became an achievement that would validate my worth and how different I was from my family. And so. It's not just my mom who wasn't married, but it, it was my aunts and my grandma and my cousins. It was like a generational thing when no one would get married. And so I thought if I got married, it would validate my worth and how different I was from, from my family. And so when I was faced with that, with that mountain, you know, the first thing God wanted me to do was acknowledge that marriage was an idol in my life. Um, yeah, and so... Even for, for you here, you know, the first thing you need to do is acknowledge the idol uh, before you can even repent and, and turn away from it. When we acknowledge something as an idol, we, st we strip it of its power in our lives. You know, idols take away our desire and longing for God. Um, we can't have it both. We can't have God and idols in our life. You know, something will take your attention and something will take your focus. And usually it won't be God. It would, most times it will be the idol that takes your, your focus. Um, for me, like I, like I shared, you know, I didn't believe that if I stayed in Korea, I would get married. And God exposed marriage as an idol in my life and reminded me that it doesn't matter where in the world I am, you know, that I would carry that idol. That just because I went back to South Africa, it didn't guarantee that I would get married. It didn't guarantee it. All it guaranteed was that I would carry that idol with me to South Africa. And so, yeah. I, I had to acknowledge, um, I had to repent and return my focus back to God. You know, as it says in, in verse 1, you know, he, he continues and says that when we put away idols, we will not be moved. And I think a lot of times uh, the biggest fear um, we have is that we will be shaken. But when we remove idols from our lives, we won't be shaken. You know, you won't, you won't be moved. Um, because then when you remove that idol, your gaze is solely on God. There's nothing else that's taking your attention, and God is able to then fill you up um, and replace himself as, as number one in your life. Um, yeah, so with idols, at the, they hold us hostage, but they have no power. You know, they have no power, especially when we repent and we, we turn away. Um, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really learning more and more that I cannot carry the weight of my struggles on my own. You know, we're all facing things. We're all going through things. But, you know, our struggles and our mountains, we can't face those things on our own. We need God to show himself as not just a good father and not just as a good shepherd, but as a powerful God in our lives. You know, because God is, is powerful. You know, the things that God does, they are powerful. He's Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And, you know, a lot of times we need that revelation of, of the King of, of Kings. 
and not just the good shepherd. And so, yeah, how do we move from a place of defeat to a place of, of victory? Number one, we have to recognize what the idols in our lives are. We all have them. Hopefully, some of you have dealt with them. <laughs> but you know, we all have idols. But the first thing is to, to recognize them and to, and to surrender them. All right. And the next thing, which is my point number two, is that we move from a place of defeat to a place of victory by asking God for his eyesight and his perspective. Um, in the things that we face, we have to learn to ask God, uh, God, what do you see in this situation? Because a lot of times we are so focused on what we see in the natural that we don't give God space or time to show us what he sees in, in the supernatural, what he sees in the spiritual realm. And what's happening in the spirit is usually so much different than what we can see in, with just our natural eyes. And, you know, someone who did this so well, uh, you know, this is a, a perfect verse that I got from Eunice, was in, <laughs> in, second, in second Kings uh, verse 6. You have the story of Elisha and his servant. Um, so what was happening here was that Israel was at war, right? They were at war with, like, the surrounding uh, kings. And um, Elijah would go up and, like, warn the like, Israeli kings. He'd be like, yo, don't go down there because the... the the, other, the enemies are coming. That's where they're going to meet you. So you go the other way. And so he kept doing that, like redirecting them and telling them where to go and where not to go. And obviously that like angered the other kings. And so they, were, they got their people together and they were like, what's happening? Is one of us a spy? And they were like, no, Elisha is telling the Israeli kings where to go and where not to go. And so the enemy kings were like, okay, uh, like get the army ready and go get Elisha. Okay, because if this carries on, we're going to lose, obviously. So they get the army ready. They go and they surround Elisha's city. And so Elisha has a servant, and the servant wakes up, and he sees, like, the army surrounding the city. And he goes and he wakes up Elisha. He's like, yo, wake up, wake up. Like, the army is surrounding us. You can't be sleeping right now. And so, and so Elisha, like, wakes up. He sees that the army is surrounding them, and um, he's, he's not moved. Like, he's not, he's not shaken, even though in the natural, like, an entire army is surrounding his city. You know, he's not, he's not shaken or moved. And so, the, like, uh, the, the, the servant was so scared, and Elisha prayed. He said, uh, don't be afraid, uh, for those who are with us are more than them. It was just the two of them. Elisha, servant. But Elisha says, those that are with us are more than them. If I were a servant, I would also be like, I'm scared, just you and me, <laughs> what you're talking about, just you and me. But um, Elisha prays that God open his eyes to see. And so God opens the eyes of the servant, and he sees uh, like an, a, a fiery army of God surrounding Elisha. And so here's like a, a perfect picture of, of the mountains that we face. You know, the servant, he's, all he sees in the natural is this huge army. Uh, surrounding the city, wanting to come and get Elisha. But Elisha, because he's already got God's perspective, he sees that, okay, there's an army, but there's another army that is surrounding us. And so um, the servants, you know, his eyes, are, his eyes are open and he begins to, to see in the natural. He begins to see what is in the natural, in the supernatural. Um, 
yeah, his natural circumstances, they, they gave him re reason to worry, but um, that was only because he was not seeing with the eyes of God. Uh, so many times we allow our natural fears and circumstances to move us to a place of defeat. Like the, the servant, you know, he was like, oh no, Lord, uh, what should we do? He was so scared. Um, but Elijah was, was standing firm, not shaken, not moved, you know, because uh, he had already gotten God's eyesight and he was already in a place of faith. Um, so something I just like just want to share with this is that we have to have faith that God uh, can bring victory into our situations. Yeah, we have to, we have to be in a, in a place of faith. And a lot of times what happens is that we have the faith um, and, you know, we, we stand in faith. We get the faith because we know that we should have faith. But how many times is it that we actually stay in that place of faith? You know, and I, like God wants us to be a people who see things through. He doesn't want us to be a people that just have momentary faith, but are shaken and moved by everything. You know, especially when it comes to our families and our, our sin patterns and the things that we struggle with. You know, you got to have a faith that sustains, a faith that stays until you see the change. You know, um, if you are believing God to move powerfully in your family, you know, continue to believe if you are believing God to overcome a sin pattern, you know, stay in a place of faith. Um, God wants us to, to call to him. He wants us to, to have his eyes so that he can show us that he still moves mountains. He can show us that he's still a God who is powerful. He's still a God that overcomes. And he's still a God that works in the spirit, not in the natural you know, the things that we face in the natural, they're passing. The mountains that we face, yeah, they're huge and they're scary and they feel like they're consuming our lives. But, you know, when you begin to see those struggles through the eyes of God, you know, things change. Um, something that I was, that I struggled with as well, like, and that I really needed the eyes of God for was um, in my family. Uh, I grew up in a, like below middle class uh, family, you know, because it was just my mom and my mom had my entire family living with us and so she'll take care of her aunts, her aunt's kids and it was just a huge blended family with just her as the sole breadwinner and so it was, um, it was really tough and then when I was nine years old, my mom sent me to a boarding school, uh, like a really expensive boarding school. I don't know what she was thinking, but I feel like she had a visitation like from an angel. <laughs> Because she sends me to this boarding school and all my friends, like their parents were doctors and judges and lawyers. And my mom, she just was like a clerk at an insurance company. And so I was like, how did I end up here, God? But um, I think through the whole situation, what happened was that I started feeling very guilty. Because I felt like all my, all my family's finances were being poured out to me. And I started really just carrying just this guilt, like... My family can never break the cycle of poverty because they're just pouring all their finances to me. And my mom, she never made me feel like I should be guilty or I should repay her. But something in me was just like, man, one day when I make something of my life, I need to repay her. I need to pay her back. And I think it was also because our family home, it was, uh, it was crumbling, like the house was falling apart. And every time my mom would try and do something with the house, 
like should we get a letter from school that says oh you need to pay this much for my Sunday's boarding or you need to pay this much for this trip and so every time she would try I was always the factor that that held her back and so I always felt like man God why aren't you providing financially for my family we, everyone in my family trusts in, and believes in you, but why do you never provide for us? Why is every month a struggle? Why do we have to be those people who live paycheck by paycheck? And I just, I could I could never trust God to provide for my family because I felt like my entire life he had never done so. And so at 23, I moved to Korea. I get my first job. And the first thing I do is I call my mom and I'm like, mom, I have my first job. I have my first paycheck. I'm going to help you rebuild the house. And my mom was like, oh, okay, nice, let's do it, you know. Um, and it sounds noble, like I, I was so young and I was building my mom's house. But it really, it came from a place of guilt and a place of, oh, I want to bless my mom. But it was so much from a place of, of guilt. Um, and so I carried this financial burden for my family. No one asked me to, but I was so guilty. I carried this burden for very, for like the past three years. And I think slowly uh, God began to ask me to let go. And he asked me, don't do it, stop doing it. And I didn't understand. I was like, God, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? There's no one else in my family that can help my mom. If it's not me, then she's doing it by herself. And I'm tired of seeing her do things by herself. And God would continually ask me, let it go, stop doing it, stop helping. And I really had to ask God to, God, show me what you see. Because what I see is a family that's in financial debt. What do you see? If this is all I see, I can't let go. But if you show me what you see in this family that's asking you, that's asking you to, me to let it go, then I'll let it go. And God told me, you've got to have faith. Do you believe that I can move mountains in your family? Do you believe that I can still powerfully provide for your family? And even though I felt like, God, you've disappointed me so many times in this area, I had to let it go. I had to have faith and believe that God could move powerfully in my family. And so I let it go, and I stopped helping my mom. And like, like slowly but surely, God began to just supernaturally provide for my family in ways that had I been the one providing, it wouldn't have happened. So I felt like in so many ways, I might have been stopping the blessings of God because I wanted to be the one doing it. And so like even like recently, uh, my mom got, she's been working the same job for over 15 years at the same company, and she got promoted to a senior level management job uh, two days ago. <laughs> so it was, like, it was like perfect, like for my sermon. Uh, <laughs> I was like, it's all for me, God. But <laughs> yeah, um, but all of this happened, you know, because I took my eyes away from the situation and focused my eyes on God. And I told myself that even though in the natural I don't see how this is going to happen, Lord, I'm going to focus on you and you are going to make it happen. And God began to move supernaturally in my family. Um, so quickly, um, the last thing is continually seeking this Holy Spirit. You know, when we repent of our idols and when we uh, focus our gaze on God, if we don't have the Holy Spirit helping us along, we're going to go back to a place of doubt and fear. The Holy Spirit is our biggest weapon. <clears throat> and we can't, we won't be able to move on and stay in a place of, of faith if we are not being continually filled with the, with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, in, in Ephesians, it talks about 
how we should keep on being filled with the Spirit um, and understand the will of, of God. You know, when we are anxious and doubt and fearful because of the struggles that we face, uh, we need to learn to turn to the Holy Spirit um, and ask Him to, to make us strong in the, in the face of opposition. And as we remain in the presence of the Holy Spirit, as we remain continually seeking after Him and asking Him to, to fill us and to show us His eyes for the things that we face, uh, God is just gonna, He's going to take us from a place of defeat to a, a place of, of, of victory. And so I want to end with this. You know, what does victory look like? What does it look like to be victorious? And in 1 John 5, 4, it says, Whatever is born, of, is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. You know, uh, it's, we, all, we all know it. You know, God, had, uh, God, Jesus died on the cross for us. And through that victory, he made us victorious. And so a life that is victorious is a life that is constantly aware of the fact that God has already won that God has already conquered death and he has already won. Um, yeah, we have an assurance of victory. So it doesn't matter what you're facing with your family, with your, just your own uh, personal uh, sin patterns, your own struggles, we've already won with God. And as we continue to, you know, to, to look at him, to ask him to give us his eyes for the situations that we face in our lives, we are going to be a people that are victorious. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I want to pray for us, so let's, let's close our eyes.